it's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying. Partying, partying. Yeah! All right, Friday, here we go. Friday, 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 Friday. Football Friday, it's back at week zero, college football last week, but come on. Now we got full slate of college football games going down tomorrow, NFL on the way next week. We got more college football games tonight and uh, certainly games from last night to review. Adam Candy is the company today. Ari is here in the Finley Toyota Studios. Let's do it. It's trending at three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, football moves all over the place. You know, uh, Adam Hill, our Raiders insider, who, by the way, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour on the latest Raiders moves, did tell us, Candy, on cut day that because of all the injured reserve candidates, uh, the Raiders essentially had like 48 guys on the 53-man roster, and there could be lots of moves this week, and we've seen a bevy of moves. And now the latest one is after getting a couple of those running backs to return on the practice squad in uh, B.J. Emmons and Trey Regis. It looks like the Raiders were very much interested in getting even more running back depth. And now they've added another one. And uh, actually a guy that uh, has some pretty good experience around the National Football League. So what do you think? The name Peyton Barber is at least a name that you're going to recognize. Uh, And so when it comes to the Raiders and the way this offense is set up, it's set up for the running back to be a huge part of it. So obviously Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake will handle the bulk of it for Las Vegas, but at the same time, it's a position that takes all sorts of hits, all sorts of knocks, and you have to have guys ready to step up if something happens to one of the first two. More on the Raiders throughout the show, including, interesting story, uh, NFL executives talked to an outlet and ranked teams. Specifically, we'll talk AFC, and the Raiders did not come out very well on that list. So that's coming up in just a little bit. All right, Candy, but it's college football uh, day today as we've got a big Saturday slate. And at the end of the show, uh, we'll go through a lot of the games and we'll see what we have for leans and lights. We're going to talk to John Murray from the Westgate in the middle of the show and see what's going on at the Westgate Superbook. Uh, Last night, UNLV game here in town. We'll get to it. Some big games. Uh, First of all, I don't know how much you got to watch of it, but depending on where you got the number, Ohio State and Minnesota landed right on the number, uh, but the 45-31 score doesn't tell the entire story of the Ohio State-Minnesota game. Very interesting stuff, I thought, on the Ohio State side. What do you think? You know, ultimately, it went exactly the way that Brad Powers told us it would yesterday afternoon. He said, even if C.J. Stroud isn't necessarily up to it in his first start, that there's so much talent around him that it would be almost impossible for Ohio State not to win. And so, uh, you know, uh, we had talked about this game last week uh, on another network on a broadcast that I did and said, I liked it if he got to 14 uh, for Minnesota. Yeah, push, push uh, on that as uh, congratulations if you laid less than that with Ohio State. And obviously a lot of people did because that's the direction that number 
was going. Um, you know, on the other side of things, I, I look at Minnesota. If, if fully healthy, if if, the, if Ibrahim hadn't uh, gone out of that game, uh, I think they would have given Ohio State more of a challenge in the second half. And I think that this game against Oregon is going to be fascinating for the Buckeyes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and the quarterback is going to be a big part of it in C.J. Stroud because, as you pointed out, that Brad pointed out. Ohio State has so much talent in terms of chunk play. Eventually, the quarterback does have to make big plays, and he made some good throws, but so much of what was done last night was catch and run. I mean, the talent from the upperclassmen to the freshmen on this Ohio State team in terms of game-breaking ability was ridiculous. Chris Olave, on his own, who we know is one of the best receivers in the country, took what was about an eight-yard out and then just went like, B button, R2, B button through everybody uh, for an Ohio State touchdown. And that's the kind of thing that this Ohio State receiving core, which might be one of the best in the entire country, has the ability to do. And they can make a quarterback like C.J. Stroud look a lot better. Look, let's not forget, Minnesota had the lead in this game going into halftime. And Ohio State didn't look the part at all times. But in the Big Ten, with that amount of talent, they're just not going to get challenged that much. Hmm. I think they will. I'm, I'm, but this is a big day of not overreacting to game one. Uh, I'm going gaga over Ohio State's talent, but there are going to be times when Stroud is going to have to throw the ball and we're going to have to get some some answers on the redshirt freshman quarterback. Uh, the other talent we're talking about, Olave, that catch and run that he had for a touchdown up the uh, right sideline was ridiculous. Uh, they're true freshman running backs. Mayan Williams had nine carries for 125 yards. They got another kid out of Virginia in uh, Travion Henderson who took one like 73 yards on basically a pass out to the flat. So uh, they're going to beat a lot of teams just based on that talent. But Stroud is going to have to make plays. And like you said, we've got a marquee game next week. We'll see where Oregon is in terms of being ready for that game. Uh, Oregon has more experience at quarterback, certainly a lot more experience for quarterbacks like 30 years old. Um, so Stroud's going to have to make some plays. So I'm not uh, – we've had some people on, specifically Sam Paniotovich, who was saying that uh, he didn't see Ohio State losing a game during the regular season. I think they're going to falter once or twice. Uh, somewhere around the Big Ten. Uh, Minnesota's not the only good mid- mid-level team in the Big Ten, so there'll be some difficulties. It doesn't mean they're not going to you know, make a run at the college football playoffs, but you know, at some point, uh, quarterbacks have to make big plays. There's going to be moments where they have to come through, so we'll see where you know, Stroud is. And uh, hey, He's our choice right now. Uh, he's a high-level guy. You know, pretty much every guy they take in there that's uh, you know, one, two, three on the depth chart is going to be a top-ten quarterback nationally in his class. So uh, I'm curious to see how it turns out here for Ohio State. Boise State last night, mm, that was a golden opportunity. And you know, we talked to Michael Felder, our college football insider, yesterday, Candy, and he was saying, hey, this is actually a true elimination game. Georgia-Clemson's not a true elimination game because you know the conferences are in. They're in Power 5 conferences. They can make up for a loss Tomorrow, Boise and Central Florida, there is no margin for error, and that's why it's it's sad that Boise got out to the good start and couldn't hold on. 21-0. After going on the road across the whole country and surviving a three-plus-hour lightning delay to start the game, they had a whole lot thrown at them pregame, and they come out with a three-touchdown lead, and then, good. That's pretty much what you can say for what happened to Boise State the rest of the way in this game at one point in the second half, Hank Bachmeyer and company had five consecutive three and outs five in a row. That's the way that you give away a three touchdown lead. I mean, look, Kenzie Milton did the, uh, did the part. I should say uh, Gabriel did the part for 
UCF showing my age there. Uh, <laughs> showing your age. <laughs> show, well, showing my you, age you, going you, back like you, three years to say, Mackenzie you, Milton. You we'll we'll you, see Mackenzie Milton soon enough with yeah, yeah, Florida yeah. State. You um, can't keep up with the uh, quarterback carousel around the country minute by minute. Uh, I, I, I'm just trying to keep up with the one in town. Right. But, uh, yeah, so when we look at uh, we look at that opportunity for Boise State, honestly, and I know we're going to talk about UNLV football, and you talked about the impact of that Boise loss. That was by far the worst loss the Mountain West had yesterday. It wasn't about UNLV. It's about Boise State. It's about the flag bearer for the conference with an opportunity to make a statement in an island game on a national stage with a brand new coach and falling flat in the worst way. It is the flag bearer. I will say tomorrow does afford some opportunities for some of the other programs that right now are in good shape in the conference to really make some waves because a San Jose State win over Southern Cal would be massive. That's a 14-point spread. And uh, Reno, we'll see if Reno can deal with the disjointed preseason here because of all the fires in Northern California. Uh, Moving over to Reno, they've had their practices moved all over the place. Uh, Reno and Cal is a big game for the conference as well. UNLV and Eastern Washington was not, or or was it? Uh, You've got a team in UNLV that is expected to finish at the bottom of the conference over under one and a half wins on the the total board. I think there's a lot of positives that come out of the game. The negative is you lose. Uh, That's not good. It's an FCS team. Losing to an FCS team, that's not good. Back end of the game, you can build in terms of positives, but the front end, and they weren't ready to play, and Justin Rogers kind of looked like in the limited spots uh, last year, he kind of looked the same where the game just appeared candy to be too fast for him. So I spent most of the preseason saying that if Marcus Arroyo didn't know who his quarterback is yet – that that was a problem. And I think it became pretty true. Uh, there was not an obvious answer. I Look, Doug Broomfield has an opportunity now. It's in front of him after coming in and leading the offense to far better than what Rodgers offered. However, the fact that through camp, Marcus Arroyo thinks that this was the guy who was ready to start, that pretty much tells me that the options aren't great there in the first place for UNLV, and I doubted it. I really doubted it. I thought Marcus Arroyo was just playing coy with us, that he didn't want anyone to know who the starter was going to be, and frankly, after that game last night, I actually think he really did have to let that whole battle play out, and who knows? I mean, we're going to probably spend some time talking about whether he got the right guy. We won't find that out for a few weeks, but it didn't look that part in the uh, first two and a half quarters. I was actually shocked that Rodgers got the start. Now, again, when we go out to practice as media members, we're there for the first 40 minutes and we're watching drills. So we're really not watching much uh, seven on seven or 11 on 11. And in fact, uh, during those periods when there's a couple of seven on seven, now there's 11 on 11 plays when we're there. um, We are actually instructed not to take video of it. Um, So we get very limited view in practice. But the practices that I was at, I I thought in terms of the order, and you, you, know, you can't read into it, but I, ter- I thought in terms of the order that uh, Brumfield was going to be the guy. I thought it was like an 80-20 battle. Um, and then the way the game played out last night, I, you know, maybe Rodgers is going to have a bounce back at some point in the season. Hell, he may play in the Iowa State and Arizona State game next week because uh, I think Brumfield is going to get the start now. But, you know, these are also games where they could get a pretty good licking. So you have a chance to play both quarterbacks, which that's not a positive. They want to stay in these games. But, I'll tell you, I was actually shocked. And then the way it played out during the game, um, I was like, well, I, I thought Brumfield was the guy, and I think he now is the guy. So uh, we'll get to more of the quarterback battle because uh, I don't know that it's much of a battle heading to 
week two. And we can also mix in, uh-oh, Tate Martell. We'll talk about uh, Tate in like 15 minutes. Uh, I know one of the things that you were concerned with was the postgame conversation. And here's Marcus Arroyo talking about the loss. Uh, this is within 20 minutes of the loss. They came back. They fell short. Here's uh, Coach Arroyo on UNLV opening up 0-1. Disappointed, obviously. That's, that, that hurts a lot. That's, that's a good football team. Um, we've invested a lot in this offseason to come out here. And uh, we're not into – I'm not into moral victories. These guys know that. I'm, I'm, we're too competitive. We work too hard. But these guys are, are busting the tails. We saw some, some real improvement in a lot of areas. But you got to play good football. you got to be able to uh, not turn the football over. you got to know critical situations to beat a good football team. I saw you tweet about the moral victories comment. The way I'm used to hearing about moral victories, Cofield, is when you have a team like UNLV that goes against a big-timer in the conference, a Boise State, a San Diego State – nationally we know who they all are these are the things you say when you come close against a big time team and you try to drive home to your team hey you know what we're about wins and losses we're not about feeling good after the game if you're talking about moral victories after losing to eastern washington an fcs team and i don't care whether you were favored i don't care how good you think they are you are by definition supposed to beat this team and to talk about the idea of moral victory says to me that Marcus Arroyo doesn't really grasp the situation that he's in and that this program is in. This program is not in a place where even discussing moral victory should be a thing because we are done with the idea of growth mindset. We are done with the idea of building. And he's talking about this situation. First of all, I don't think the moral victories thing fits. But second of all, if you really believe that you have five or six years to build this program up when you are the highest paid coach in the history of the state and you were hired by an athletic director who is leaving, you are in a reality that I do not recognize. All right, we'll continue to address this. Uh, I don't agree with Candy, and I also wonder who we is in terms of expectations, but we'll react to the UNLV loss last night, 35-33, in double overtime and, uh, and that moral victory comment. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Rumfield takes the snap, drops back again. He's out of the pocket. He's got a run. He's going. He's at the 10. He's at the 5. He dives into the end zone. Rumfield with a sensational acrobatic touchdown. And the Rebels need two to tie it, but Brumfield with a tremendous scramble. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. UNLV loses the opener at Allegiant Stadium, Eastern Washington, in double overtime, gets the win, 35-33. That set up a two-point conversion. They fell short on the two-point conversion. Ari apparently not happy with Caleb Herring jumping in on the call. Ari now a play-by-play color analyst. Critic, what do you think, Andy? Too much excitement from Caleb Herring? We're going to get on Caleb for that? Not at the college level. Ari, I think you're applying your very, very high standards yes. to UNLV, where this is the excitement that people listening to a college broadcast want to hear. Oh, I'm simply coming from an editing standpoint. I, oh, okay. There was no professional. Caleb got out of the Caleb's way quickly. Awesome. He got out of the way quickly. I think the, the problem is when you get the analyst actually ruining the the actual touchdown call. So big play there by Brumfield. 
And it's one of the reasons that, yeah, it was a loss. Yeah, it was an FCS team. But you come out of it, you're like, all right, looks like they got the answer from a quarterback standpoint. And that dude has a ton of potential. And watching the replay, uh, I don't think this is going crazy. Um, his running ability uh, actually reminded me a little bit. He's not, you know, the, the power size guy of Armani Rogers, but uh, watching the Eastern Washington defenders, uh, Brumfield is a lot faster than he looks. You know, it's one of those deceiving deals where the guy, the guy's running by you, and you're like, "Oh crap, I cut the angle incorrectly." But it's a loss. And Marcus Arroyo, after the game, made a comment about, "Hey, we're not into moral victories." And I get your point, Candy. When you talk about moral victories, that means playing up, like playing a real close game, say the next two weeks against Iowa State, but losing. And you come in and you say. Hey, you know, we, we got to win. Falling short is not acceptable. I'll say one thing. I don't know exactly that he was applying moral victories to this case correctly. I'm not sure that that's even what he meant to say. But I, I do want to react to what you said about we – basically we have expectations and the building thing. Like we're past the building thing. When you say we – who is we in the UNLV market? Well, if it's we, it started with Desiree Reed Francois, who made clear in both of her hires that she didn't think that setting up a developmental stage was going to work. And she made that clear when she got rid of Marvin Menzies, who was a guy who was making that incremental progress. And I know basketball is different than football, especially yeah. when it comes to this university. But the reality for Marcus Arroyo is going to be that he has a new athletic director coming in and he has a salary that is going to be a target. And I think if the athletic director has said to everyone, no, no, we expect to win, then the rest of the city gets the right to say, OK, well, if you expect them to win, then so do we. Yeah. See, I, I think that's where the disconnect is, because she hired a guy in Marcus Arroyo who came in and he's like, uh, this is a rebuilding deal. I'm like Brent Brennan. I'm dealing with San Jose State. Now, was he dealing with a complete San Jose State situation? No. They have a brand-new stadium they're playing in, and more importantly, their facility is a real facility. There are no facilities. They're in the works. The facilities at San Jose State are dreadful. So I think it's something in between. I think most people in the market uh, don't really worry about the salary candy. I don't even know if they're that aware of it anymore. I think they know off an 0-6 season that one-and-a-half win total is probably realistic. I don't agree with that. I think they're going to go over that. Um, but listen, I don't talk to everyone in the market. I don't know what everyone's thinking. Uh, based on the crowd last night, I don't think that – and it was a decent crowd, 21,000, probably 15 really in the building, 21,000, 22,000 tickets out. Um, I don't know that most of the market has super high expectations for UNLV. Now, where I think you're right, because you said – Marcus Arroyo may be wrong if he believes this is a five- or six-year rebuild project because I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Circumstances changed, right? His, you could say guy, but you won't in this case. It's a female AD. Um, his lady who hired him, right, DRF, is gone. So, yeah, he is going to have to answer to some new bosses. So I think more re realistically, and I think, I think they know this, that uh, this year obviously has to improve on a winless season, and then next year – the team has got to move towards being at that 5-6 win level and challenge to make a bowl game. Am I way off on that one? Is that accelerated enough, or do you think they have to win four or five games this year? No, I don't think they have to win four or five games this year. 
But what I'm saying is if a coach comes in after what everyone is going to look at as the weakest team on your schedule because it is an FCS team, if you come in after losing to a team that pretty much anyone I talked to who said, if you want to take them over one and a half wins, you have to believe they're going to beat Eastern Washington and then add one later in the year. And if you're talking about, I don't care if you, th- if you think he misapplied moral victories. Right. If you're talking about there are positives we think we can take out of this game, then where are we in the rebuild? I don't think we're at the point where we can say next year, this is a five or six win team. If you are saying that after losing to an FCS team, then you're telling me you don't believe this team can do anything this year, that you were just looking for a little bit of growth. So, Cofield, I'm with you. If you win two games this year, I think that might fit the expectation. But if you don't then go and compete to be in a bowl game next year, and that's a big, big step, big step. If you don't compete for that next year, then I think the the seat needs to be pretty warm. So I don't think they're going to win one or two games. I think they'll win three or four. I think there's plenty of games they can compete in in the Mountain West Conference. I saw enough last night in terms of upside with uh, Brumfield. Guys not playing. Guys just getting their initial looks. Um, I don't think there are many teams in the Mountain West Conference they can't compete with. There's some teams that are really, really good. San Jose State and Reno are really, really good. Um, I think Fresno is good. I don't think Fresno is impossible to compete with. They competed with them last year for two and a half, two and three quarter quarters. So... I think there's plenty of upside. I think they can challenge to win three or four, maybe even five games this year. I'm not saying they're going to win five games, but I think they'll be in a lot more games than people believe. But I, I agree with you that uh, the notion when your boss, the, the person who hired you is gone, the notion of having a five- or six-year rebuild is out the window. Now, I will say, if next year is the hot seat year, if I were Arroyo after this year, I would look to get out. <laughs> so... Now, that doesn't mean he's going to get another job for $1.5 million, but I, if, if I'm getting the message from, from upper management that I have, to, I have to win at a high level next year, then I might start looking around. Because I, 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 I also don't think, I don't think, that's, I don't think that's real. Listen, here, the reality is in college football, it does take two or three years to turn over a roster. I was just watching Chris Peterson today talk to Colin Cowherd, and he was talking about Washington, right? And he was saying it takes 18 to 24 months to turn things over. Then when you mix in COVID and really almost no, you know, development, uh, this this disjointed, odd uh, team-building season, um, I think it makes it even harder. And something to look for, folks, when you watch last night, they're trying to turn over the roster. A lot of the key contributors on defense still, Candy, are Sanchez guys. These things take time. And I know we're in an era now where, hey, there's no patience and you got a new stadium and the guy's making a million and a half dollars a year and his boss is gone. So I understand the situation, but there's also the reality of trying to turn over a roster. I guess the one thing you could throw at me is, is hey, you know what? Maybe they should have gone really freaking crazy in the transfer portal. Okay, so let me take a couple of things that you said. First of all, if you want to bring up Sanchez, what year was it that Tony Sanchez had five wins going into a potential bowl game and lost to Reno. It was right about where Marcus Arroyo will be next year. So I don't think it's at all unrealistic to put that expectation onto Marcus Arroyo because the guy you just blew out was in the same spot. We can do this over and over again with UNLV. Oh, it's the last guy's players. Oh, it's this, it's that. Look, 
the last athletic director and the salary she handed out and the expectations she set are still there. They're still there. The other thing about competing when it comes to the Mountain West, you and I can go ahead and set a number if you want to put four wins on it. I'll pay you some juice to take the under on that. Um, you just talked about that Fresno State team. Okay, so Fresno State had UConn come in week one or week zero. UConn is a team that is basically at the same level as UNLV in terms of the expectations. Fresno was a four-touchdown favorite in that game. So if UNLV can compete, then I think that's a big step from where we are after the Eastern Washington game, and um, good luck to them. All right, I'll lay out the games a little later on. We're going to turn our attention that they can compete in. Uh, we'll turn our attention to the NFL. We continue our countdown. Cofield and Company rankings, 32 up to number one. Today we've got the Ravens and the Bills. The Baltimore previews on the way. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. And I think the Ravens take that final step. I think they take it all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I know the guys in that locker room, I know Ooh. how they work, I know how much it means to them. That defense is aging a little bit. So I think it's now or never for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and I think Lamar Jackson gets it done. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Robert Griffin III, real high on the Ravens. we got to break down the Ravens. This is very important. We're doing our Cofield and Company countdown up to number one. We've got the Ravens in as the number five team in the National Football League. Kadri Ismail played the game. He played uh, for the Ravens. He's now part of the broadcast team, and he's up with Cofield and Company here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Doing well. Doing real well. Well, we obviously have a lot of vested interest in the Ravens, not only from an NFL preview standpoint, but it's the week one opponent. So let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of the preseason. Uh, first of all, Lamar Jackson, all good to go in terms of prep after, you know, the early uh, road bumps again with COVID. Yeah, he's been um, cleared and he's been out uh, practicing, getting things uh, acclimated back. And at the same time, he's also, uh, participated in the series in the last preseason game. So all signs point to him being good, cleared, ready to go. All right. So it's one thing for Lamar to be ready to go, but now we're also dealing with situations on multiple fronts with the receivers. So in terms of getting the passing game better and developing chemistry with some of the new guys, Kadri, what's the latest situation now with some of the new wide receivers who, you know, in many cases just haven't been around, won't be around for a little while. Well, the, the biggest point on that one is Rashad Bateman, who was our, our draft choice, um, really was the guy that they were looking to to kind of take over the role of the, the go-to receiver, the outside threat, um, has a great catch radius, and he looked the part, but uh, suffered a groin injury that required him to have some surgery, so he's going to be out a few more weeks. Um, they expect him back probably midseason, but as far as Las Vegas is concerned, um, yeah, they're they're not going to have to necessarily worry about a Rashad Bateman out there. There is Sammy Watkins, who uh, is reunited with Greg Roman and his offense, and he missed a significant amount of time in training camp, but uh, they felt he was uh, cleared and ready to go these next uh, few weeks. And then at the same time, he already understands the concepts of the offense. So I think chemistry-wise, with Lamar is just a matter of just, you know, getting some more reps in and he should be okay. Good to go. Then Hollywood Brown 
he's the next guy who was dealing with some injuries as far as his hamstring. He's back. Again, it's about getting on the same page and understanding the little nuances of the game. They brought in T. Martin as the uh, receiver coach, also Keith Williams as the passing game coordinator. So I know there's some new wrinkles to the game that uh, they'll be pretty much game planning and putting into uh, practice. So hopefully, you know, things go well and there'll be no necessary uh, setbacks for uh, either receiver. But outside of Rashad Bateman, it seems like it's going to be all hands on deck. Kadri, give me the receiver's perspective on this as we just went through some of the new guys and some of the returning guys. Uh, in the receiving core for the Ravens because what we've heard repeatedly through the last couple of off seasons is that for Lamar Jackson to take that next step, and it's hard to even talk about that for a guy who won an MVP, but as a passer, at least for Lamar Jackson to take that next step that the team needed to help him and get some more receivers. Is that something that you think is on the receivers to make Lamar better? Or are there things that Lamar needs to do in the passing game for everybody to be better? Yeah, you know, I, I think the whole notion of him taking the next step, it, it, what is it? You know, so, you know, Greg Roman, his style of offense totally complements what Lamar does as far as the skill set. They're a run-first team. Um, that doesn't mean that Lamar Jackson is a running quarterback. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, do they pass the ball? Absolutely they pass the ball. I think what makes it uh, kind of – next step or or how do you progress it's when you need that outside throwing lane when they take away the strength of your offense or you get a, a holding call and now it's you know second and 18 and you need to make a throw not that he can't make it but there are times where from um the the strength of their offense it's the tight end spot that gets a lot of attention so mark andrews you take away a Mark Andrews. You take away some of the inside routes. That outside throwing lane, that wide receiver, he has to win. And so I don't think it's necessarily whether or not Lamar can get out there. I think it's about being, again, on the same page, making sure that, yeah, there's some, there's some continuity within the offensive scheme to allow Lamar to flourish in the passing attack. I think, you know, the, 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 the run game and the way it is put forth, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's amazing. I love how they scheme it to the point where you can see defensive uh, fronts being confused, and that's where you have the upper uh, upper hand. And the moment you think you got Lamar, you don't. But that's where I think um, that, yes, next step comes in. It's that outside the number throwing lane um, opportunity. And, yeah, the receiver has to win one-on-one battles and matchups. Um, that's, the I think, the beauty of – you know, having a run-first offense, it's a lot of eight-man in the box. Therefore, I've got one-on-one coverage, a single high safety. I mean, any receiver, especially in, in today's game, the way it's set up, any receiver should be licking their chops, saying that I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to thrive in, in, in this offense. Kadri Osmiel joining us here on Cofield & Company, talking Baltimore Ravens, uh, of course, former Raven and member of the broadcast team, uh, you've been a part of this franchise in one way or another for a long time. And it's one of the franchises in the NFL that seems to somehow be resistant to the ups and downs that a lot of organizations go through going from a Super Bowl team, maybe to being way up in the draft, et cetera, et cetera. 
this franchise has been winning at a consistent level for a long time. What is it that has allowed Baltimore to be a playoff contender really for more than a decade straight? I think it's the communication factor between uh, front office and, and coaching staff. I think John Harbaugh uh, with whether it been Ozzy and now Eric DaCosta, um, they are in lockstep. Um, a lot of coaches, a lot of general managers, they they talk to talk publicly, but you know behind closed doors, you start to see a rift, and then it comes out. Well, he didn't like well, you know, and all the excuses start to happen, and you wind up having an owner firing one of the two or both of them and trying to reset the, the deck. I think for Steve Bashotti, um, you know, he's an owner that wants that continuity. But I think the culture and the environment, you know, it, it, it fosters a, a level of, hey, a togetherness. We're all in this. This is not about your ego or my ego. Here's my role in gathering talent in the offseason. But here's your role in communicating to me what you want to see as far as me gathering talent. Here's your role as far as uh, me being a head coach and how I look at my coordinators and, you know, some of the bigger pictures of what I see for uh, this ball club. And, and I think when they have such great communication, the players recognize it. The players are also seeing that, yeah, I don't have to worry necessarily about, um, you know, the drama that, that comes bad uh, front office, bad coaching. I know I'm going to get uh, things put in place to help me succeed and win, and that's where I think the consistency of, of winning comes from. So let's talk about the uh, run game. Let's go back to it here. You know, run first team, team that rushed for over 3,000 yards in the last two seasons. Uh, no Dobbins. Uh, I like the Gus bus. I like Gus Edwards. Can they be as effective as they've been in the run game without Dobbins? I mean, you'd like to think so, but um... – we don't know until it, it happens. You know, it, it's a running back by committee uh, ball club. You know, that's what they do. That's what they thrive on. Um, I know that, you know, Tyson Williams now becomes what Gus Edwards was, the the guy that's going to be spelling the main back. Um, I know Gus's style is a, a downhill, very hard-nosed style. Uh, makes a lot of guys miss as well. Once he gets into the secondary, has a good burst. But there was something that you know we all thought was going to be special about J.K. in this year, and being that you know 1,200, 1,300 yard back with you know multiple uh, you know 10 plus TDs to his resume. Now, with that said, okay, this is an opportunity for Gus to show what he can do, and I think also in the passing game, uh, both guys you know were looking to increase their. Um, role as as pass catchers out of the backfield. I'd be curious to see what you know Tyson Williams does. Did he show up in the preseason? Sure, but we all know you know what, what you know what have you done for me lately? The preseason is is in the books. That's great, but now we got to see what you can do when you're going up against first team All Pro guys and uh, guys that are are out there trying to you know scheme against you as opposed to having a vanilla defense. So there's some things that I look at you know with. Uh, the running game and, and have some question marks, but uh, I think they have a retooled offensive line uh, led by uh, Ronnie Stanley. They're all pro uh, left tackle. He's back healthy. So um, I'm, I am hoping to see this offense as, as far as the running game is concerned and, and the running backs uh, still maintain that upper tier uh, level of, of, of running that we've been accustomed to the last 
uh, two seasons. I'm glad you mentioned Ronnie Stanley. He's a Vegas guy, Bishop Gorman guy. Uh, you know, intense injury last year. That was really bad. Luckily, it's on that extension, so he's good to go with that, with the big contract. So, is he 100%? And then what do you think of the situation now at right tackle where they, you know, they obviously made a big change? So, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, for Ronnie, um, the, the desire to get back out there on the field and, um, you know, kind of reshift his focus as far as his rehab. He talked about that. I think he's in a good space uh, for his mind to, to go out there and, and, and regain that, that Pro Bowl form. Um, and then when you talk about the, the right tackle, sure, Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, went over to the left tackle, made the Pro Bowl after um, you know playing right tackle. Uh, Villanueva from uh, former Steelers uh, tackle. Now he goes from left side back over to the right side. Um, can he get into his groove with things? So there's a lot of nuance there. Um, I do like, again, as, as I've been saying, the way in which this offensive line has been. Um, Bozeman, Bradley Bozeman, he went from uh, guard, but he goes back to center. And the cool thing about it, he was a center at Alabama. So, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of talk about running the football. You better have some, some horses up front to open up holes. I think that they have that, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. Uh, we out here, Raiders, uh, got unique in Gakwe. Is he going to be an impact guy? Because we've talked to some folks who cover the Vikings who said uh, he was a little disappointing. What do you think? What do you think he's going to do with the Raiders? Yeah, we were you know, hoping for a little bit more in um, Raven country out here. And, okay. you know, he kind of disappointed a little bit as well. I think he, I don't know. I don't know if he is a guy that feels he's just not, you know, getting enough reps or something and, I'm not saying he's making excuses for himself, but whatever he did in Jacksonville, you know, I'm sure the Vikings as well as the Ravens were hoping he, he would produce right, some right. of that, and we just hadn't seen it. So, you know, whatever he feels he needs to have happen for him, um, I'm hoping he finds it, um, and he he does perform to the level of expectation after week one. We're talking Ravens. Kadri Ismail played for the Ravens. Broadcast now. All right, everything here in Vegas revolves around betting, so let's do the Ravens by the betting numbers. First of all, over-under wins, 11. Do you want to go over or under 11 wins? Uh, easy, over. Okay. Uh, what about the division odds? Ravens are co-favorites with the Browns at plus 125. Steelers are 4-1. to one. Ravens a good bet at plus 125. They are because the Browns are the off-season Super Bowl champions of the last four years. They've done nothing. <laughs> All right. And then the uh, the one that's got a big price, but essentially it tells you they're, you know, they're almost guaranteed to make the playoffs. Ravens will or won't make the playoffs. The yes is minus 360. If you want to bet no, you actually get three to one on your money. What do you think? So I guess if you have a mortgage and your wife is uh, <laughs> saying she's going to, um, you know, refinance her, portion of things and she has a better portfolio than you because she's a badass your kids are going to private school bishop gorman cost them <laughs> to play and uh overall you know what i want a new puppy yes you go ahead and you guarantee that playoff spot <laughs> then you just tell your wife hey babe we're going out we're living large we're having that fat steak dinner let's do this by the way i like the, the the cost of school i wanted to ask you one college football question cost a lot to go to syracuse um where are you right now on what syracuse football is doing 
So, yeah, it does cost a lot. It's like 70G. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute, what? It wasn't that <laughs> where I was going. But, um, yeah. no, I think the the mindset is let's get back to the tradition that, you know, was established in, in the time that I was there, and it's reconnecting with a lot of the, the alumni base. And, and I think, um, you know, Dino Babers, he has, you know, put – a lot of effort into kind of getting things going again. And I'm hoping that, uh, yeah, Syracuse will have a, a revival of sorts. And I know that there's a lot of alumni, including myself, that, uh, that we're, 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 we're cautiously optimistic about what, what's uh, going to transpire. Good deal. Well, have a good weekend. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me on. That was a very rosy view, although hesitant throughout, on Syracuse football, Candy. You were just talking about, you know, Sanchez and Arroyo and expectations and direction of the program. Syracuse football, 4-8, four 4-8, and 10-3, four and 5-7, and 1-10. and seven, one in ten. Now, I think a lot of the bad seasons last year, you could say, hey, you know what, the COVID deal, that did screw things up. But uh, remember after the 10-3 and three season, Candy, a lot of people were like, oh, I wonder where Dino Babers is going to go from here. <laughs> Two years later, uh oh, not good. Believe the believe the answer was down. Where is it going to go from here? He's going to go. Yeah, down. I was kind of. I was actually surprised that he uh, he didn't freaking torch him. No, I mean, look the 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 difference is, of course, when we talk about these two programs, there at least is some tradition to go back to and rely on there with the Donovan McNabb years and yeah. what uh, what Syracuse football we know can be. But you know, competing in that conference consistently with the teams that are many steps ahead of them in terms of both legacy and recruiting. I mean, that is truly a rebuild job. Uh, A lot of money behind them, though. The phone lines are open. Join the conversation on Cofield and Company now by calling 702-364-1100 or tweet us at Cofield and Co. From the Rebel 25... They need a touchdown to keep the game alive. Two receivers to the left, shotgun. Barry rolls out to his right, rolling, looking. He plants his feet. He fires one to the far side. It's caught for a touchdown. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Yeah, rough loss, rough loss. For the Rebels, you hear the call there on Learfield and uh, Russ Langer on the call. Uh, real quick, before we get to our next uh, season football preview, we're going to talk some bills in about uh, seven minutes. Candy, I know uh, you were real intrigued by what the Vegas Golden Knights came out with in terms of the entry plan for hockey games, vax, no vax, mask, negative tests. So what is Bill Foley going with? Bill Foley's going with the status quo. Uh, which seems interesting to me considering my thought was that the Raiders were going to give everyone both locally and beyond cover to go to vaccine as the standard for getting into the building. And the Golden Knights have said, no, that will not be the case. Uh, There will not be any requirement to show proof of vaccine or a negative test. There will simply be what we had last year, which was a mask mandate inside the building. So, uh, once again, uh, good luck to 
the ushers at T-Mobile Arena who are going to become the first and last line of defense for making sure that it's a safe environment inside the building because it's going to be up to everyone to make their own decisions uh, when it comes to actually keeping the mask on to get into the building. It's such a thorny issue because I don't know what the right answer is, but you're right in terms of policing the masks, uh, watching the ushers, and I was down on the field, even the ushers down on the field, security people down on the field, were, would yell up every once in a while the first couple rows, like, put a mask on. Uh, when I looked around the crowd, I don't know how you control it. I have, I have no idea. Because the, the other thing is, well, you know, if you're drinking, if you're eating at the time, you can have the mask off. I mean, I looked around. I, I couldn't tell who was eating and drinking. And this was part of our argument when we said, hey, Mark Davis is making a choice that might not only be the right choice for public health, but for public sanity, for the people inside the building who are going to have to take care of this. But, you know, Cofield, I'm not surprised from one angle of this. Um, Our own Adam Hill did some good reporting right around the presidential election last year uh, and said that Bill Foley had made extensive contributions to conservative causes and uh, charities. candidates across the country uh, maxed out his donations to Donald Trump, to the Republican National Committee, the Trump Victory Committee. It goes on in there. We're talking about millions of dollars. And the one common thread to everyone that Bill Foley donated to is that they have shown resistance either to masking or to the vaccine. And look, that's not to say this is a be all end all. But if you think any decision in that franchise of this magnitude is made without the blessing of Bill Foley and without the input of Bill Foley, uh, you're wrong. More NFL preview on the way. Well, you know, you can make an argument that all the teams aside from Buffalo have gotten better this offseason. Maybe you can do that for the Jets. You certainly, I think you can do it for the Dolphins, although some people are saying the Dolphins are going to backstep. Uh, people believe the Patriots will be better. We'll get the Bills preview and see if this is going to be a Runaway division in the AFC East for Buffalo. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.